This is the path we take. I'm your host, Hayden Anderson. And I'm Natalie Lorati. And welcome to our show. Welcome back to episode two of Self-Acceptance with Dr. Blaze Fafman. Thanks for tuning in. When we left episode one, Blaze had just been devastated by his ex, who decided he'd rather break up with Blaze after being together for years rather than come out. Blaze is having trouble getting over his ex, and he gets his ex to agree for a face-to-face talk about what happened and hopefully get some closure. So let's jump right back into it. This was after 2019, wasn't it? No, this was my first, this was 2018. This is before I met you. Yeah. So like I had gone back to San Diego and like we, our thing was like, cause I had stopped drinking also around the time that I was sexually assaulted because I was like, you know, that was what, that was, alcohol is the number one date rape drug. I don't care what anyone says. Alcohol is the number one date rape drug. And I was like, this is what caused me to put myself in this situation. I'm removing it. Mm-hmm. I only really drink around people that I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. or if there's, or in like my own home. Um, and if I'm with a big group of people where I know that like, I'm safe. Yeah. Um, you have at least one person. That's yeah. Like- and so like when we would go out, he would typically drink and I would drive. So that was like our thing. So like we would, he lived in like a little bit north of like in Riverside area. So like we would go to Palm Springs, like LA, San Diego, wherever, but I would drive and he would drink. So he like came and picked me up. I was like staying at a friend's house when I went back in December and we went out and like he had a drink and I, we were at like a bar grill, gay, like loud music kind of area at night. But at that, this point it was like right around dinner time. And so like we ordered some chips and salsa and we're at a high top bar and there was like this group of like six guys to the right of us. And I just like distinctly remember them like still, I'm not gonna lie. Like I still think that my boyfriend is physically very attractive. And I know that other people find him physically attractive too. Mm-hmm. Um, they were staring at him thinking like, how is this guy with this guy? And I was like, I don't care. Cause like we're nothing. But they were staring and they could probably tell what was going on in the conversation because they were like four feet away. But I basically told them like, why, I asked why he gave up. Like I asked why I felt like there was no fight. Like why did, what was the point? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you break up with me in July? I would have like, you know, like gone live with my mom six months. Like that was when it was over and we both knew it. Why did we not call it quits? But yeah, why did you leave me on for? It was like I would never put you out on your own. Like I think that was like unrealistic to have tell me that you were gonna live with your mom. And I was like, he was like, I know you hate living down there. And I was like, absolutely, I would have hated every minute of being with my mom. But like, it would have been way easier. It's like pulling a bandaid off like quickly versus slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so I kind of asked him like, what did he see for us in the future? And that was his answer was really hard to process and definitely took me back like in my self-acceptance because he, I will never forget these words. He said, I never saw myself marrying a guy. And so for two years that completely invalidated my relationship with him, my feelings and my like self-acceptance. And I- You felt like he just wasted your your time. Two years of your life. Like, so like to me, I was like, oh, so like you were like actively sleeping with me. I was like, doing all the things at home, like cleaning, taking care of the dog, like doing laundry, all that. Like, were you actively looking for a girlfriend? Like, what were you, what do you mean? Like, what? So obviously like fighting through the tears at this like gay bar, it was the hardest thing ever. 
But I was like, okay, um, yeah, worse off. I ended up having to drive us home. Oh, no. I would have made the move. Because like we took one car out, but like I was staying at my friend's like 35 minutes north. And then he was still living at his house 35 minutes north of that. I did not want him to spend the night at my friend's house because like my friends love him. And like, I was like really hard for me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up actually driving all the way back to his place, spending the night and then having him drive me back in the morning, which was like even worse. But I mean, like he still had all of my own sheets and all of these things and like my old mattress. So I was like, it's basically like I'm home and I need that right now because like this sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like, a really low point in my self-acceptance. And that's why, like I said earlier, I think it's like grief, there's different stages. And I think that people go through them at different points. Mm -hmm. I still do not feel very comfortable with like who I am as a person because of the way that that relationship affected me. I definitely saw myself being less less gay and less flamboyant. And Mm -hmm. so like when I came, like when I met you, I think that was kind of when I was like starting to like re-explore all of my, like the qualities uh, that I missed about me. Which was summer of 2019, right? Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. I don't think- have a similar timeline of finding ourselves. Yeah, but I don't think, I think ours was different because I was trying to like break through all of this trauma and like negative- self-image that I had Mm -hmm. where I was in such a good place earlier um and I still think like it's still like a long road to get to where I am and I think like some days are better than others I still like find myself thinking about a lot when it comes to that relationship and who I am as a person even my wardrobe choices at the time were a little bit more male presenting and masculine presenting and I don't like that because that's not what I want that's not what I want for myself. Like I, I wear what I want when I want, and I don't care what people say. Oh and God, I remember getting random pictures from you. <laughs> I still yeah, wear. Like, I will wear a crop top. Blaze's amazing outfits. Go check out his Instagram. Oh my God. <laughs> the most fun, amazing photo shoots I've ever seen. It's, it's private. So oh. <laughs> request. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So like I started becoming more of who I was again. And then on my rotations, um, I rotated in New York for a little bit and I met, a, met this really nice guy, um, who lived across the street from where my Airbnb was for that rotation. He's a photographer. And so like great graphic designer too. And so like, he didn't really shoot people like people is not his thing. He used to shoot like cars, rooms, like, uh, products. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to shoot me. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. I was like, absolutely new ever. Um, So he really pushed me out of my comfort zone. He's older as well. Uh, I still a really good friend of mine. Um, So we've been friends for about two, three years now, two years. Um, But um, every time I've like been on the East coast, I make it a point to meet up with him. He like meets up with me. Um, We actually were supposed to meet up for his birthday in Palm Springs, two years ago, but that's when COVID started. So they canceled that trip. Um, but still a really good friend of mine, um, loves taking pictures of me and pushes me to go outside the box and wear things that I wouldn't typically wear. Will send me photos and be like, let's do this for our next shoot. And I'm like, Whoa, like, I don't think that I could pull that off. And And then then what happens happens and like, it looks great. And (laughs) I, it's really nice to have other people believing in you 
as like to help you believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also really hard because we don't talk about self-acceptance and self like there's no there's no award there's no grammy there's no emmy there's no academy award for self-acceptance it's there's no gratification besides self-gratification and if you can't like have gratification from yourself for being who you are like no one else is going to gratify you for that so it really is up to you to be who you are and like love that about yourself because no one is going to sit there and say that. I mean, as much as like Hayden will sit there and tell you that like, I am like the queen of self-acceptance. Like, I think it's still struggle. I think everyone is like on this different wavelength of it, but I think like you really have to find it in yourself. And I do that by surrounding myself with the people who I know need it as well. And I think like you flock to people who are like you. And I have a lot of friends who I have really deep conversations with and I do really cherish those conversations. I have friends from like all over the the country that like I will fly to or will fly to me and spend the weekend. And we will have like these deep conversations that they don't have with other people because they don't feel like they can, they don't feel like safe. And like, sometimes it is like an extra job. I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will tell my other friends, I'm like, oh yeah, this person's coming to visit me and like, or I'm going, you know, and I just like know that it's gonna be work, but like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely it's not. Worth the work for having such an amazing support group. Support, yeah, having a support those, system in, in, in a whole is, yeah. Absolutely. And having those like connections where people like feel safe. And, like one of my friends is always like, you need to stop making people feel safe because you cannot take on any more like other people stuff. And I think like that comes back to like me just being a provider, like a healthcare provider. Like I don't pick my patients. I don't pick my patient loads. They come to me and I take on everything that they take on. Um, something that we like always talk about at the practice that I'm at is it's all trauma. Everything is trauma. You have to treat it like trauma. You don't know. And it's something that I learned more recently, but it's something that I carry into my personal life as well. Like, I don't know what other people are going through. And although like, yeah, my breakup was like very traumatic to me. Other people can look at it and be like, how are you so blind? Like you thought he was going to come out because of you. Um, absolutely. I am all that and a bag of chips. Like your favorite flavor of chips too. Not just like the dollar chips that you get at whatever. I don't know. I don't buy dollar chips. These, these are gourmet professional. <laughs> I don't eat chips, but like. <laughs> on them. Yeah. So I think it's just like, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think it's really about like who you surround yourself with and the positivity that you bring to the situation. And, you know, you can't, you can't really control how people act towards you. You can only control how you, you know, like really act, like are affected by what they do. And I remember this one kid, she was like, like five, six, seven year old girl, um, syndromes, disabilities, like wheelchair bound. And I am like, if you come to an appointment with me and you are not doing something like I am the clown, I am giving you life. I am trying to get that response. So I know that you are hearing, you will see me do like, we are the jesters at work. And this girl, I was doing the most. And this girl was unfazed, resting, resting bitch face. Like even mom was like, is she scowling at you? And I was like, absolutely. And she goes, that's just, that's just the way she looks. And I was like, okay. I distinctly remember she just like looked back in the reflective glass at herself, smiled, winked, and like turned her head. And I was like, I need to have her confidence. I am her. I take out so much confidence from the kids that I work with because they are so authentically and truly themselves. Like 
I've seen kids who like look in one of the TVs when it's off at work and like pose and like look them. I'm like, this little girl is two and she is giving me the energy that I need to get through this day. And I'm like, I always feed off of that energy. I think it's kids like- are amazing. When we're not are, like brought down from growing up and all the traumas and everything, like the kids really do live their most authentic selves. Absolutely. And that's 100%. I, I, there's nothing more authentic to me than a, um, a kid's laugh. It's not fake ever. Mm-hmm. You're, you cannot, you cannot fake a kid's laugh. Like they are not going to fall for your, your stuff. They're not going to be like, ah, if they are laughing, it is authentic. If they are crying, not always authentic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, will they will manipulate they to get what they want. Absolutely. I've seen alligator tears come out of a kid for no reason. And they're just like trying to manipulate the situation. And I'm like, yep, like unfazed by your tears. If I can get you to laugh, that's all I needed. All I needed. I mean, like we work hard where we work. Like, like I said, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love where I am, but the, the population that we serve and like the kids that we see are truly what makes me like wake up and go to work every day. I mean, like some days are better than others. You know, I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm really tired. I don't want to do this. But I know that when I like walk into work, I have to like, check myself at the door. I'm bringing in that high energy. Um, all my coworkers, um, I work for like a family business too. So there's a lot of family involved, like mom, sister, daughters, like there's a lot of people that are related. So they have this bond and it is so nice to be accepted and into that family by them and the other providers that are also there. I feel like I am connected to all of them. You know, like we talk about like our personal lives, we are trying to like start sharing like soup recipes now that it's like That's you know, so becoming cute. fall. And I'm like, this is where I want, this is where I want to be at work. Like, this is why I work here. This is why I fought to come back here. And I fought for a position at this place. Like we, they're so grateful for like the team and the, everyone brings something different to the table. And like, mm-hmm. you, I could sit there and be like having a bad day and turn to my boss. And she was like, do you want to talk? Like, whatever's happening right now, like if it's not a patient, like not important, like we'll go talk. Like, do you need to go home? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you need right now? Or like, she'll stop and like, I'll notice. And, you know, we'll, I'll say like, are you okay? Like, do you want to talk? Like we have moments where we're like, I just need to cry. Like I'm going to go outside and cry and that's okay. And then I'm going to come back to work and it's going to be fine. And like being in an environment that fosters that is so nice. And I, it's really hard to find a place like that. I was going to say, it's so rare that you get that, it feels like. Yeah. And not only that, I, you, you made sure that you got there. It wasn't like a, oh, I give up. You know, they don't have a position. It was a, that's where I want to be. Yeah. That's what I want to do. my yeah. way in there. They were not looking to hire on another audiologist. They were... I came back because of COVID. I couldn't be in the hospital that I was at anymore um, in Connecticut. Shout out to Connecticut Children's and all my friends there, love them. Uh, But I came back here because I knew that I wanted to work here when I graduated. I had one rotation here over the summer and I had known this audiologist since I started my career in audiology. Mm. And I was like, she is like, she is the God. She is the Ariana Grande. She is the RuPaul. (laughs) Of, of my, like my, who I think should be a leader in this field. 
And she knows it. She has, she's very humble about it though, but people fly out of state to come to our office mm-hmm. and oh, wow. see her who were like seen as kids, but then like have moved on. And everyone like people will sit there and brag like, oh, we flew from like North Dakota. We've I'm like, Nobody traveled further. I came from Connecticut. Until you <laughs> traveled further, nobody has traveled further to be here for her, okay? And <laughs> I, I fought for that job so hard. And there are other students that have rotated through that place while I was there. And they were like, I have never seen somebody fight so hard to work at a place. And it was so intimidating to work with you because it was so clear that you needed to be there. And I was like, I didn't think, it, I, I'm not a competitive person in the sense of, I don't want other people to know like, <laughs> at the end of the day, like I'm getting what I want. Cause that's the princess in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what she wants. Absolutely. So like I fought for this job and like, I have worked so hard and I continuously work hard every day. Like I don't, I'm not settling. I'm like, Oh, I got the job. Like I work like every day is an interview. I work like every kid that I'm seeing is being watched by other people and they are judging me on my skills. I try my best, but I am the jester of those appointments. Like you will see me doing the most to get these kids to respond. I don't care what, I will sing, I will dance. I will make the silliest faces. I telling you, people have seen me do things. They were like, I would never would have thought of doing that. And I'm like, you have to think outside the box to work with kids and to get the things that you need. Like I'm not wasting your time. I'm not wasting my time. If I have to see you back because I didn't get the results that I wanted, I'm so hard on myself. I'm like, absolutely not. I should have been better. I should have been able to get those responses the first time, you know, like some of the testing we do is behavioral and to get kids to behave the way that you want them to, especially around that two to three, it's hard, but people do it and people do it well every day. And sometimes some days are better than others, you know, and some days I, I don't ever take it personally, but I'm always hard on myself for when I see a kid for a follow-up that I'm going to get what I need so that that parent does not have to come back again. Mm-hmm. And it is like, it is hard, but I do it because I know that it's needed. And I love being where I am. And I don't know why we got on that tangent, but- I, I love every second of that. I would love to hear what you all think about self-acceptance. Um, from my understanding, Natalie, you're, are, you're adopted, is that correct? I am. So how did that, how do you think that that's affected your self-acceptance? Oh my gosh. Um, a loaded question. I know I'm not a host, but uh, <laughs> I, want, I want to know. Deep. I also similarly had a bully like growing up too, when I was like six years old and they were like, you, they told me like, your parents don't love you. They didn't want you. And so like at age six, having someone tell you that, and I had never had anything ever. Um, like that my family has always been super accepting and like loving my cousin who's a little older than me didn't even know I was adopted until I think we were like seven or eight or he was that age because he was like she's just family like mm-hmm. you know but then I tried so hard to not talk about being adopted because I was like no that makes me different that's a bad thing mm. people like and then growing up too like my family is all white and I would just see the looks of people sometimes being like how does this connect or just being like oh that's your daughter instead of like my friend who is white they would just assume I was the friend and stuff and that was always really yeah so that was always really hard like oh actually this is our daughter this is her friend um that was 
always really hard. And like my acceptance didn't really start till I was in college because I was surrounded more by people that I thought looked like me. I met people that were adopted and just understanding that it was never wanting my parents' love. It was just me accepting that I also love myself too. So that's kind of been like up and down. And I've also had um, sexual assault trauma as well. So, and that was like at age 13 and then when I was like 20 and stuff. So it was like also having to work through that. And like you said, it's an ever going journey or ongoing journey. And sometimes you forget about, well, I sometimes forget about it and then like something will spark it and then it just gets hard again. And it could be the smallest thing that kind of will set off that train of thoughts, but it can spiral and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you feel like it's, I don't know, Hayden, I don't, I'm not trying to like exclude you, but I want I have a follow-up question. No, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. no keep going. Uh, I think like for me, at least it was also hard to kind of like get back into dating and like allowing people in to like yes. be physically close to me. And that was something that was really hard that I think this was right before Hayden and I met, like I tried to start dating because it was like, oh, I'll just like get over it by, you know, getting under somebody else. And like, I found myself like having that conversation with other people, like, oh, by the way, like, I want to be like very upfront, like this happened to me. So like, there might be something that you do that like offsets me and I need you to respect that and stop. And like that did ruin a lot of the people that like were interested in me because it was like baggage and I I was like okay like I don't want anyone to take on that baggage but I also don't want people to stick around who aren't willing to take on that baggage yes so I think it's definitely like help I I think it's like help weed people out it does it's it's hard it's hard there's like two people from my before it happened that I that are like in my eyes people that like, I know that if I need, that I can have adults, adult sports activities with, that if I need to stop and I say so, like they will 100% respect that. And they understand that, but it's also because they have not had like sexual trauma, but like endured some type of trauma and understand how that affects people. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to know if like, have you ever had like that conversation with somebody and like, Cause I've been in like those situations where I'm like, oh, something offsets me. And I'm like, oh no, I like spiral down. And then yes. other days I never think about it. I, my last partner, we had that conversation fairly early on. And that was super helpful because he was great in that sense of just very communicative. And I felt very trusting in him. And that was always like a good part of that relationship. And now trying to date past that because we broke up three months ago and stuff just the idea of me like having to go through that conversation with people and I'm like uh no thank you no I can't I don't want to like it was enough to have that conversation and that I'm so lucky that was a positive one because kind of similarly to like in college I didn't always have the best response or they're like oh they'd get uncomfortable or then like they would have never talked to me again or something. And I'm like, okay, I opened up to you. And then I just feel like I got shit on basically. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't control this, but I want you to be aware that this is what's going on in my, 
head and like what has happened to me. And if you don't care enough, then also I don't want you in my life, but you don't have to be a dick. <laughs> I, I think it's very important to have these conversations despite how hard they are. And if yeah. you're, you know, pruning some of the weeds, getting them out of there, I think those are weeds that shouldn't have been there to begin with. Like don't, don't deal with those kinds of people. Yeah. If you don't have and anyone that's accepting. Then just also understanding that I value myself a lot. And I like, not in like an egotistical way, but like I see myself as a good person who has a lot to offer. And like, yes, this is part of my past, but if you can't step up to the plate, then I don't want you there because mm -hmm. time is precious. And I'd rather be surrounded by good people who I, and I don't need to be in a relationship. I don't feel that way. But if I am going to devote time to that, if you can't respect that and also be open to my past and whatever, then you can see the door. I don't really care. I think like very similar in the sense, like I, now I hold myself to a higher like standard of like, well, like, yes, this has occurred, but like, I've also continuously done so many good things with my life. And like, I don't really reflect on those a lot. And people always tell me like, you have to think about like what you've done for yourself and like how many people you've affected and like, you're doing so I'm like, ugh, gross. Like, I don't want to talk about that out loud. I don't want to write it down. Don't ask me to do that. Uh, one time a guy asked me to do that. Cause he was like, I think you like need to work on like like you, you've done a lot. Like you've done a lot. I think you need to like write down all of the things that you've accomplished. I was like, I want, no, I'm not doing this homework. Get out of no. here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, it's a weird journey. It's a weird journey, but talking about it, like, is like, I think the, definitely the first step because it, it does help weed out the people who aren't going to be helpful for your own journey. Um, and the earlier you can do it, the better, but I know that it's not an easy thing to talk about by any means. I still have like, this is probably the, I want to say maybe like the 10th or 11th time that I've talked about it. And that was over four years ago. Mm -hmm. So like, I, you know, like talked about it to the therapist at the time. I talked about it, you know, to like maybe a couple of friends. Um, and other than that, like I, I, besides like maybe a guy, if I'm like second or third date in, but like not something I bring up on the first date. Like I, if I only, if I see it going somewhere, then I bring it up, which like tells you how much I see it going somewhere when I'm dating. <laughs> but yeah, I just, it's really hard. I don't know, Hayden, have you ever, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I don't know your history of oh, sexual assault or, and or trauma. And if you want to talk about that and how it's affected you. Damn, really self-acceptance real quick. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I've been on, I don't want to say both sides of things, but I've definitely been with people where we were about to have some adult sports, as you, as you said. Um, and I could tell that, you know, they were, they were a bit uncomfortable. And so I was like, let me, let me pause things here. Let's, let me unpack this. Cause I don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. Like I'm, I'm kind of a weird, I shouldn't say it's weird, but I'm someone that really kind of needs to feel a connection. Like they're safe and I'm safe and like every, everything's consensual and, you know, we, we kind of want that as it should be, as it should be. And I, I, I kind of, I don't know exactly where it comes from. I know there was an instance when I was probably about 18 or 19 where, uh, I think I had been going out. I went out with some, some girl, uh, that I had met on Tinder or something like that. And, it was, it was kind of a catfish and I wasn't really 
Like she ended up being not nearly as attractive as she was on Tinder <laughs> and matter, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what, I'll, you know, I'll do the date and it'll just be, it'll just be that. Um, couple drinks later, I don't really remember much. Um, the next thing I remember is waking up in my bed with this girl on top of me and I was still so drunk. I couldn't move. I didn't really know what was going on. Can you like, I'm sorry. I just like, were you engaged in adult sports at the time or when you were like, you were sleeping and she was on top of you? Or were you drugged? I, I think I may have been drugged or just like drinking a little bit too much. And, but the the thing is, is when I drink too much, I generally come in and out. But this was more of like, I remember so like she, was, she was uh, participating and engaging in adult sports while you yes, were. Yes, while I was not. You were a passive. Okay. I was, passive. I was passed out. Yeah. I, I remember like at one point going back to my place, I think just to like watch a movie or something. Cause I was poor and a college kid and couldn't go out and do too much. Um, and that was really like the last thing I remember is just like sitting on the couch. And then the next thing, next thing I knew I was, uh, in my bed and waking up kind of to, to that. And I felt very powerless. And I think it's always kind of weird to say, cause I mean, growing up, you always hear, you know, you're, you're a man, you can't be sexually assaulted by a woman. Uh, you can't uh, that's not anyone, anyone can be sexually assaulted by anyone or anything i agree now uh but when i was you know 18 19 and i grew up in a, a fairly traditional household traditional stereotypical <laughs> you know you're not allowed to have feelings that kind of household as as a man and obviously it's changed a bit since then um and i found found my own way a lot but that that's probably really the only thing Thing. And it, it took me a couple of years to ever really think about it again or talk about it to anyone. Uh, this is probably the first time I've ever actually shared it like publicly. Yeah. And I didn't even know this. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever. Because I'm a safe or... person, not because <laughs> I ask hard hitting journalism <laughs> questions. <laughs> well, I, I I mean I put in I put in a lot of work to being very unapologetically myself doing the radical honesty i'm not gonna shirk off questions uh and i'm going to own up to the shit i've done in my past and i know i haven't always been the best person i used to be a complete asshole and i definitely showed that in a lot of ways um i love you but at the same time like i think there was there's something i read and i've talked to natalie a little bit about it of like it's really not my fault in a lot of ways, but taking responsibility over it. And we talked about that in a a couple episodes ago. And I, I I think I really kind of took that to home of like, there's a lot of shit that maybe has happened and it's not, not my fault or it was, but either way, like I need to take responsibility for it. I need to own up to it. And if something has happened to me, which I guess it kind of has, um, it 
it's definitely weird to think about and i'm still sometimes coming to terms with it but like at the same time i'm like that was so long ago and i don't really see it affecting me nowadays too much other than maybe my emotional awareness but i i think really my uh, i would say i'm just like trying to understand women and i know so many people in general have been sexually assaulted and it's awful i think that just trying to have some type of understanding um and trying because i mean everyone has a different thought outlook out process and how they work through things and their truth is their truth like you can't you can't control their reality how they see things the only thing you can really control is how you react to it and how you deal with it absolutely i think there's a document i think it's a documentary on netflix called roll red roll i don't know if you've seen it or heard about it roll red roll it's about um this town in ohio called steubenville where this girl um was sexually assaulted by some people, I think on the football team, um, whatever, I, I can't think of the exact uh, sports team, but like from that, um, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm, I don't wanna speak like out of it, but I'm pretty sure uh, she did not survive the assault. And from that, it an investigation launched and what happened was like, you know, like people were tweeting about it. Like they were at this party, like people, like it was all over social media and nobody did anything about it to like, some people tried to stop it, but like it uncovered this like historic generational rape culture in this town with the, I think it was the football team over like years. And like all of these women who had grown up in this town had like come forward saying like, when I was like, you know, a kid like this happened to me and it was always like, like the adults around that like pushed it away, who like, made hush, it like hush, 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 made it go away. Like, like, oh, you know, it's just a kid. Like, he's just a kid. Like, don't ruin his future. And it's like, no, like you, we don't talk about like, so was the victim. Yeah. So was the victim. Absolutely. I don't care. What about like, their future, their life? Mm-hmm. And I, unfortunately, I don't think that girl had a few, like, is now like doesn't have a future because of it. And I think it's so unfortunate that like, it's such a, like a cultural thing that we do. And it's, I, it's hard to like move forward, like thinking that like this happens daily, regularly, and like definitely affects people of lower socioeconomic status, you know, people who don't speak English as like a first language, Mm -hmm. you know, like, people come to this country to, for the opportunity to work. And, you know, they're given these jobs that a lot of people won't take. And because they're not documented, they're like subjected to like sexual assault and like all of that while working in like these farms and like these poor conditions. And they can't say anything about it because like the alternative is going back to where they came from. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not something we talk about regularly. And like, I always feel so strongly and passionate about people who I think are victims of sexual assault. I think after, you know, like being one and talking with other people about theirs, it's like, it's it's something that I hold like very close to me um, cause it's hard. I don't think, yeah, like there, it's not linear. Some days are better than others. And like some days, like I will watch a movie and like break down over it about like a nice love story. And then I watched like a documentary about like, 
you know, a rape that eventually ended up with like a murder. And I'm just like rage of like, something needs to change now. And like, why don't we do anything? And it's like talking about it is like the first step. But I think it has like any type of trauma has such an impact on your self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I know that took like a weird turn how we were talking about sexual trauma. <laughs> this is supposed to be just self-acceptance. But... I mean, I, I would say self-acceptance is not only accepting yourself for who you are, but accepting the good and the bad, accepting the past as it is and accepting everything just as it is, not, not necessarily whether it's good, whether it's bad, but just fully embracing what yeah. it is. I think also like self-acceptance comes from this like visibility and representation. Like I, one of the reasons like why I, like pursued my, like push myself to become a healthcare professional is because I want little gay people around the world to know that like, there is more to life. You can do whatever you want. It's not just like, well, cause like for me growing up, there weren't a lot of gay role models. There weren't. Mm-hmm. And like, now there are more, but like, I don't want people to only think like my only way is to become like a professional athlete or like an actor. Like you can be a smart, educated gay professional and like that is great. And I think we need more of them. And like in my office at work, like very minimal list, like very minimalism. Like I'm all about like nothing. I have like a couple things that I like on my desk, but in our audiology suite, we have like books. Um, and all of most of the books that we have are like special representations of like different populations. We make sure that like a lot of the artwork that we have, a lot of like the books, a lot of the materials that we use do not only include pictures of mm-hmm. like white males, white females. We have books about like talking about racism to kids. We have books about like transgender kids. I don't know if you saw my Instagram, I posted yesterday. Um, there was this one book that I have called Sam is my sister and it's about a transgender child. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they were giving doing like a giveaway for Pride Month. I actually had purchased it beforehand but I entered the giveaway as well as my boss and like a couple of my friends. And actually we all got copies of the book. And so the book that my boss like won sits in our office at work. And this little girl um, looked at it the other day and she like started reading it. And she was like, mom, is Sam that new word that I learned at the library transgender? And her mom was like, let's keep reading to find out. And I was like, that is what this is about. Like, that is what I do at work. It is as much as it is like figuring out hearing levels and like, you know, providing counseling for like, you know, what we're going to do forward about like to manage the hearing loss. If that's, you know, the parent's decision, it's all about being, having an environment that has representation in it for the kids and the families that we work with. I will come in there being my like authentically gay self. I mean, like I have green pants, I have pink pants, I have sparkly (laughs) shoes. Like I come into work, I just transitioned over to like my pride wristband that I've like never worn because I've always been like, black is my aesthetic. Like Hayden knows this. Like if you've ever seen me, like I'm this 90% of my wardrobe. Hold on, you have dark gray too. Uh, yeah, I like painted <laughs> black, 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 new black, like water bottles black, my backpacks black. Like I am a very like, I look good in black. I can't deny it. But I started to like transition into wearing more outward appearing like clothes that spark conversation so that I can create the environment to foster that. 
And, you know, like I've, the best compliment I ever got was when I was volunteering at this auditory verbal school in Portland, these two older girls in like the third grade, I was volunteering in like a second grade class. I think these were at third or fourth grade. They went over to like one of the adults that was like in my class. So they used to go in um, and like, kind of like learn about audiology outside of like the clinical setting. Like how do these kids function in school? Mm-hmm. Um, which is why like education is like a big part of like what I do now, because like, I think that, you know, the services we provide go outside the school or outside of our office. It's, you know, how are these kids learning? But these two girls went to an adult and they said, why does he sound like a drag queen? And I was living. I was so obsessed. I was like, that is the highest compliment in the land. I admire drag queens so much. They are their true authentic self. They do, most of them do it better. And like, you know what I mean? Like they could be boy, they could be girl, they could be whatever they want. They could be non-binary, they could be genderless, gender fluid, whatever they want. They could do whatever they want and they get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. some some more than others but they are like such big idols to me because they are 100 authentically them and they have like you know they have i've heard a lot of their trauma stories you know like they're open very open to talking about like how their family doesn't talk to them anymore because the way they chose this or you know there's drag queens all over the world some of these people mm-hmm. come from countries where being gay isn't allowed and have been you know like assaulted because of just who they are as a person and the career that they chose and like, I could never imagine being in a career. Like I, I wish I could be like, I'm ready one day, somebody come paint my face, dress me up. I want to be like the sexiest girl who ever walked. But I think like they are so authentically them. And like, I get a lot of my like ideas through them because I'm like, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. They are the visibility that I wanted when I was a kid. And you know, they're all over the TV now. And it's so great to see that, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's I all about representation. I don't think I was ever really exposed to any type of drag culture or anything until I met you. Absolutely. And, you and we went to that one drag show and that uh, drag queen was like, Blaze, all of these people at your table have never been to a drag show. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. And then she like called me out about this story about how we met at like Seattle Pride and like, because mm-hmm. I knew her friend and her friend had like started puking and I like grabbed him and like, this 40 year old man, like threw him in the Uber and was like, we're going home. Like, <laughs> in charge of the situation. Cause I was like, you cannot throw up on this, this woman's beautiful outfit that has taken so much time, money and effort to like handcraft. Mm-hmm. D- go take your puke to the hotel room you paid for. Okay. <laughs> like, absolutely not. But it's, yeah. And I love going to drag shows. I think drag shows in Portland are next level. I know like every- I've never gone. <gasps> they are next level. Yes. Can, I, can I get a quick note uh, for, for our listeners? Um, what is something that you would like, what do you, ex- what do you expect to get when you go to a drag show? Like, how would you explain that to Ooh. people that have no idea what that whole world Me. is? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the number one tip I'm going to tell you is bring tip money. I think everyone I go with never has tip money. I always have like, I want to, I, this is like embarrassing, but like I spend a lot of money at drag shows besides the cover. I will probably bring like close to a hundred dollars in tip money. If I'm really like paying for it to go see it. Those I remember we always brought twos. Yeah. <laughs> always go with twos, uh, sets you apart. Um, but yeah, I think like it's, it's all kind of like the style of each drag queen. Each drag queen has their own style, what you, what they're bringing to the table, their, their self-expression and their self-acceptance and how they're portraying themselves and their art is Mm -hmm. what drag is about. It is 
a lot of traumatic journeys for some of these queens. And so like, maybe you don't like the song, maybe you don't like the way that they're dressed, like maybe you had a better idea and like, that's okay. And like, keep it to yourself and talk about it later. Like all me and my good friends do, um, or like under your breath, but like tip those Queens, you know, they're typically not being paid to perform. Mm -hmm. They are doing it because that is the, how that industry works. And Mm -hmm. to get to where you need to do, they're doing a show on Friday. They're doing a show on Thursday. They're doing a show Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, because they all have other, most of them have other jobs to afford this, have this like hobby of theirs. That is such Mm -hmm. like a great art that is so like underrepresented, but now it's becoming like more mainstream. And I love that because like I can stay at home watching on my TV, (laughs) save me some money because I am a good tipper when it comes to that. But I think like, it's whatever the Queens are providing. Like, I don't think there's any like advice you can give besides like be respectful Mm -hmm. and like bring money to tip because you may be in for an experience and like, don't get discouraged because you didn't vibe with like one drag show or like one queen. Mm -hmm. Typically they're doing like two, three numbers. There's a host, they're trying to engage the audience. Like go with like a good group of people, go to like have fun. You're not going to like sit quietly and watch a movie. Like you're going to engage. Like they want you engaging with them, like shout something out. Like if they ask you like, who's here celebrating like a divorce party, like laugh, like absolutely go for it. They thrive off of what you give them. And the more you give, the more engaging they will be. Like, it's really hard to talk to, you know, like a dead wall. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so you can't really just like talk at a wall. Right? They need something to feed off of and you have mm-hmm. to feed off of them in order for them to do better and do like the best. So go with high energy, go with money, mm-hmm. give them what they want. And if you don't like it, try it again. Mm-hmm. I will try anything twice before I declare that I don't like it. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, you got to give it a solid two tries, maybe a different venue, maybe different Queens. Mm-hmm. I remember when I, I had no idea what I was getting into because I was I was in my hot girl summer of just trying everything <laughs> and and trying just, you know, anything and everything, kind of doing a yes man type approach for, for a lot of things. And I found that drag shows were, I mean, it was a performance of people living very authentically and just having the most fun you can possibly have. And it was it's an experience and I recommend everyone go, go see it, go see a drag show. And like, like Blaze said, yeah, if sometimes you don't vibe with it, that's fine. There's many different kinds and there's many different people and watching people live just unapologetically so much confidence and just getting out there and doing something that you might think is very different and just watching them own it. It's, it's an incredible experience. All kinds of people can go to drag shows. They don't discriminate, straight, gay, lesbian. Um, I, there was one last week that was an all ages show. And I saw like part, like there is outside. There were kids there. I was so happy to see families bringing like young kids. The entertainers um, did a lot of like Disney themed songs or remixes. And like, since I went like, non-stop have been listening to this remix of colors of the wind from pocahontas like, <laughs> i played it at work you I need to share that because i will, it is so good it's a club mix and i just like sit there for like four minutes like living my best life to colors of the wind like i want to be pocahontas 
Like speaking of like all ages, don't isn't Oregon home of the oldest drag queen? Isn't Darcel like? I but be- uh, I don't. I wish I knew more drag local drag queen history is something that I'm not that familiar with. I do love to support my local queens. There are some like of my favorite queens out in Portland that I make it a point to go see. I love them so much. Um, as much as I do love watching like you know RuPaul's Drag Race and all of the different franchises of Drag Race, I have actually never been to Darcells. However, I did meet um, a bartender who works at Darcell's probably two months ago when I was at a different bar. And he works with one of my friends. My friend works in a call center for um, bank tellers. And so when he was like, oh, I work for On Point, my friend was like, who are you? And he was like, this is who I am. And he was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And he introduced himself. He was like, wait, are you the person like the one that answers our calls. And he was like, yep, that's me. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And then like, ever since then, he's been like, yeah, we have to like come to come out at ourselves. Like, I will definitely take care of you guys. Like, don't worry. And I'm like, girl, don't let me go into a drag show. So I just looked it up. Darcel is 91. What? And they're still getting up on that stage. Absolutely. Yeah, there, I mean, there are people that have been doing it for years. It is something that brings them so much happiness and joy because it's like who they want to be. They put on this character, they put on this show, they embody a different person. When you hear these queens talk about like who they are, when they, they're like in their, conf- on the TV at least, they're in their like confessional talking about themselves, like as of, you know, whatever gender they present as, they say like, oh, you know, like my queen name, they'll be like, she is very this, 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 this. They talk about it as it's another person because when they get the wig, they get the makeup, they get the outfit on, they become this other person. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do it who who aren't comfortable with themselves. They find acceptance that way. They aren't comfortable with their body. They aren't comfortable with like their, you know, like um, a lot of things about them and then they become this other person and they let it all go. And they, you know, they are, they're maybe, you know, a stay at home body, but when they are out on that stage, they are jumping, splitting, doing all the things like sitting on people's laps involving them. But that's like, that is their escape. And that is their connection with other people because they can't, they don't feel like they could do that when they're not in that sometimes. And I think that's so empowering. Some, some of the shows that I go to still, like they have sign language interpreters to be inclusive. And I love that. I love, I've seen Queen's sign and I'm like, it's really about accommodating and making things accessible for all of these people. Cause how, how is, you know, maybe a person who was born with hearing loss or deaf and only uses sign language supposed to relate to you? How are they going to see that visibility? What if that's who they're meant to be? I am a huge advocate for people with disabilities. I was, um, part of my like fellowship and my final year was uh, a LEND fellow. So a leadership education for neurodevelopmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did work with the University of Connecticut for that. Um, that is, I used to work as a behavioral therapist for children with developmental delays. Both my parents were special education teachers for my entire life. Like I grew up around people with disabilities and I think that it's such a huge thing of making things accessible. And I bring that to the table in almost every conversation that I have with people. I'm like, but what about this? Like, oh, like I call, I what's called calling in, learned that term not too long ago. <laughs> like 
people say stuff, I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting, like ableistic, like ableism perspective you're talking about. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, do you think like, I think the conversation I was having was about like sirens, um, like police sirens and like people pulling over. And they were like, oh yeah, like I just don't understand why people like don't pull over when they hear the sirens. And I was like, oh, that's pretty like ableist to assume that everyone hears sirens. And I was like, but also at the same time, like, I don't want you to think that like deaf people don't pull over when they see everyone else. <laughs> They're not like, oh, look, everyone's clearing the road like Bruce Almighty. Like, no, they're like very aware of the situation. And it's like, but I always check people and like call them in for that conversation. I'm like, no, no, like we create like, you know, like doorways or like the ch- even the chairs that we buy when we're like setting up the office. I'm like, oh, do you think like our friends that maybe of like, larger figures and frames like we'll be able to sit in these chairs comfortably oh do you think they'll be able to like walk through this walkway that we just created by putting this like entryway table here like do you think like maybe somebody carrying a baby or like using a wheelchair would be easily able to navigate this space Mm. like yes we're ADA compliant but sometimes you know when we decorate we take away the accessibility Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't, I never have any type of centerpiece on any table. And if there's a centerpiece, I'm like quick to move it because that breaks up the conversation with you and the person across from you. You would never see a centerpiece at like a, a deaf, like culturally deaf household event because like it creates a barrier from you seeing the other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not, never. And like very aware of like bringing that, like all of these little things with me forward and like opening up people's mind to it and like cultivating mm-hmm. that because it is all about visibility. And if like, there's no one at the table being visible, at least you could do is like call people in to be aware that there, like there isn't somebody in the room that represents that. And if there is like, maybe you don't notice it. Like my business that I do for myself is doing a lot of accessibility stuff online. Um, and that that's very different. I remember my first user experience like class to understand kind of getting into user experience design as a whole. My professor came in, she's very, very good top leading doctor in accessibility and everything. First thing that we talked about was door handles for, for web design. She goes, have you noticed the difference between door handles since you were a kid to, to now? When you go to older buildings, you see all the round, the round doorknobs. Now, whenever you go anywhere, you see levers or push. And that's specifically because it doesn't hurt anybody that already is, is using a door, but it makes it more accessible for people that might have trouble grasping on to the door handle and doing all of these things. Accessibility Accessibility never hurts people. It only provides it helps everyone. Everyone benefits from accessibility, mm-hmm. not just the people who need more help with the accessibility. Like, yeah, you're talking about gross motor skills. Like, um, I hope when I'm old and I can't turn a knob, like somebody, some hot guy is taking care of me. <laughs> but at the same time, like I could do it by myself because I'm independent and I want to push it. Okay. Like, absolutely. I think, yeah, just like being aware of that. There's a lot of self-acceptance Um, I think issues that go along with any type of minority community and that isn't the majority, like in any area of the world. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. I think it's kind of like you assume, you know, everyone goes throughout their day and they just like assume like everyone's on their own thing and like not everyone needs to be talked to or like needs a moment to like cry or step out. And, you know, it's not professional to do that. Yeah. 
it's so unprofessional to have a moment of weakness. And for everyone at home who can't see me, I'm making air quotes (laughs) around this because it's so unfortunate that that's like the culture and society we live in Mm -hmm. because not enough people talk about it. Talking about it's the first step. You got to talk about it, be aware, make progress, move forward. Hopefully not regress. So please, I want to say thank you for for coming on and, you know, sharing your story, sharing your traumas, talking about all of these things. I would say some of the main points that we kind of gathered from this are obviously, you know, talking about it, putting labels on things. That's obviously step number one, getting that, that, uh, support structure of very close people and and having the ability to do that as well as finding people that you know accept you to be able to start accepting yourself and finding yourself and it's it's obviously not always very easy uh and it's 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 a journey it's different for everybody and there's not a single path to take that's that's one of the reasons why we call this the path we take is because everyone is on their own path. Everyone is forging their own path. You can't follow somebody else's path to the point and expect to get yours. You can take inspiration. You can find a mentor to help. But at the end of the day, you're forging your own path. And it's, it's all about the path we take. Yeah. I think just to piggyback on that, I took my vitamins this morning. Obviously I have those like cute Instagram vitamins from care of <laughs> you guys want to talk to me. I'll give you a shout out, but you know, they always have like a little quote or like a fact on it. And today when I took them was one of my favorite quotes from Dolly Parton, which was figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. And I think that that's something that's like so well-written and I think that it's like figure out what you want to do in life. And like I said, you can make the best chocolate cake. Somebody's going to be allergic. Somebody's not going to want it. That's okay. Somebody will. And somebody will think that that is the best chocolate cake that they have ever eaten in their life. Mm-hmm. And those are the people you surround yourself with too. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to share and talk with both of you. Cool. It was lovely meeting you, Natalie. <laughs> Maybe we'll go to a drag show soon. I would love that so, so much. I think there was, there was one last night. I really wanted to go at the local lounge in Portland and it was to benefit deaf dogs of Oregon. And it was like a dog drag show. So like the Queens and the dogs. And I was like, this is like my two favorite things. Amazing. I was like, but you know, I spent my Friday night with a friend here eating food and watching TV. That's what I do now. Cause that is also self-acceptance staying at home. Thanks for tuning in to The Path We Take. I'm Hayden Anderson. And I'm Natalie Lorati. And thank you so much for listening. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Feel free to give us only five-star reviews. Um, Leave your comments, questions over there. And then also follow us on Instagram at The Path We Take Pod. And you can also follow us both on our personals if you want. Way less exciting, though. Much, much less exciting. Yeah. Mine's just my first and last name. Mine is H. Anderson, 333. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Woo!